Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Right, thank you, Chido. Uh, we are going to turn to the scriptures and uh, continuing this morning in Second Corinthians chapter six. So do turn with me in your Bible and uh, follow with me. I am going to read uh, the passage from verse fourteen. I want to say again, remember that there's continuity. The uh, different sections are not separated from each other and or disconnected from one another. So reading then from verse 14, uh, Paul writes, he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among, me, among them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. So since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Just so far, reading of God's word. Let's just bow together in prayer. Lord, you have not left us as orphans, but sent another like yourself, your spirit, to be in us and among us as your children. And so even as we turn to your word, I pray that your word would resonate in our hearts. Lord, that you would speak to us through this word. And Lord, that we in turn would respond in submission and obedience. In Lord, in greater love and devotion to you we pray. Amen. discovered in recent weeks that there's been much renewed interest and discussion about a person by the name of Robert Oppenheimer. Now, if any, you've all been uh, watching the news and the media. Robert Oppenheimer. I think many of you have gone to see the movie. I want to go still. Haven't gone yet. I want to see this movie of Oppenheimer. But for those of you who don't know anything about him or haven't heard of him, he's not part of the multi-millionaire Oppenheimer family well-known in South Africa. But he's the man who was the architect of the atom bomb. He was the man behind that, uh, the bomb that was dropped off at Hiroshima, Nagasaki, uh, that finally ended the Second World War. The reason I'm raising this this morning is I'm trying to illustrate the point that at the time of the Second World War, so while he was busy orchestrating this whole affair, and even going on in decades after that, 
opinion is divided as whether Oppenheimer was secretly feeding information to the communists. Was he a double agent? Uh, was he someone that could not be trusted? Eventually, after the war, the Second World War, it led to him, and there was a case involved, that uh, he lost his security clearance. So there was suspicion, there was concern about Oppenheimer. Now, I'm not clear, and I don't want to get into that, whether he was guilty, whether he was a double agent or not. The point I want to illustrate this morning is the necessity of allegiance to a cause. To be loyal, to be faithful. You see, if he or anyone else in, in, in any other instance acts as an unfaithful or double agent or someone who misrepresents a cause, there are going to be disastrous consequences. And so having said that, I want to turn to this passage now with the Apostle Paul. Remember, he's defending himself. He's defending himself against critics, teachers that had come in amongst the members at Corinth who did not like what the Apostle Paul was teaching. They did not like him to be calling himself an apostle. And so the question has to be asked, was he, was the Apostle Paul single-minded in faithful allegiance to Christ? So we've got to ask that question. As we look at this passage, uh, the Corinthians needed to ask that question. The point is this, both could not be right. One is wrong, and the other is right. Either Paul is out of line, and he's not loyal to Christ and the message of the gospel, and thereby misleading many people to their destruction, or these teachers, these critics are out of line and leading people astray. Now, last week's message, uh, first half of chapter 6, uh, Paul claimed very clearly that he and his co-workers were legitimate ambassadors of Christ. Chapter 6 and verse 4, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, and, and, and does so, he says, by great endurance. And I tried to show you last week that endurance uh, in the midst of Adversity and difficulty is a quality that one can see in authentic ministry, whether it be the authentic message, the authentic messenger. Because the natural inclination of people is to flee when there are conflicts in ministry. And so the hardship in Paul and his co-workers' life was not an indication that God was not pleased with them, or God is not present in their ministry, the endurance through the trouble and hardship demonstrated God's work in them. God had work through them. The fact that God was using them through the difficulties, and of course, that kind of single-minded faithfulness, allegiance to Christ, ought to be true of every true believer. Now that said, now thinking of the, the logic in this passage, if Paul is faithful in his allegiance to Christ and the gospel, it prompts a question. What then do the believers in Corinth do with their cooperation with those in the church who are opposing apostolic teaching? Our first point, sever cooperation. That's verse 14. 
Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now that particular picture is taken from the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verse 10. And there in that context, forbidding the plowing of an ox and a donkey. And I think you can see the point. You put an ox and a donkey together, they're not going to be able to pull harmoniously in accomplishing any meaningful purpose. Now the problem with this, with this passage, like many of you, I think, I grew up believing this verse was about marriage. Isn't that what you believe? That's what you were taught. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, it has that kind of application, and we'll get to that. But the point is, that is not the primary meaning of what Paul has in mind. Why would he switch from a defense of his gospel and suddenly jump into a marriage issue? Doesn't make sense. It is a command not to be yoked together in ministry with those in the church who oppose apostolic truth. The point is, a false gospel is no gospel. And those who believe and promote a false gospel have not received the good news, and Paul therefore considers them in the category, he identifies them as unbelievers. Is this an important issue? Well, the apostle is concerned about the enemy within, the confines of the local church, not to have those who are disrupting by bringing an erroneous message. And if I were to take it a step further to demonstrate the kind of seriousness of it, would that not be tantamount to allow Satan into the church, into the pulpit as one who masquerades as an angel of light? And so, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's a command to dissociate with any complicity, any cooperation, any partnership with those who would attempt, and I'm, I'm speaking here primarily in the confines of a local church, and we'll look at application later, those who propagate a false gospel within the church. We have an evangelistic ministry in our church called EE3. People are taught the gospel and they go visit people. They follow up on people that visit the church. They go knock on doors. They speak to people in the street. Imagine, imagine if we took people into that team who did not believe in the substitutionary death of Christ. I mean, what's the point? There's no point in doing that. And so the, 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 the reasoning in this passage is Paul says, no man, you uh, sever, separate yourself away from people like this. And we have to consider this in terms of the practical application. And, and we're very aware today that there are segments of the church that propagate a, a liberal view of theology, uh, denying much of the fundamentals of the faith. There are those who promote kind of moralizing of Christianity, again, uh, misleading people away from their trust in Christ as the Savior. And, and Paul says to remain aligned with those kind of, of people who blatantly oppose apostolic truth is playing with fire. You're going to get your fingers burnt. You're going to get others' uh, fingers burnt. So number one, sever cooperation. Number two, second point. Apply your mind to the logic. What, 
Why would he say this? Why is this such a, a big issue? So what he does is to reinforce the importance of steadfast ministry partnerships and allegiance to Christ and, 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 and not partnering with others who distort or neglect or, or, or dis, uh, 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 change the gospel, Paul goes on to ask five questions. He wants to drive home the need to sever uh, from working from unbelievers in the church. And each question demonstrates that believers, on the one hand, gospel-believing believers, on the one hand, and the unbeliever, this person who distorts the gospel, who has not received the gospel, are incompatible co-workers. They just, they don't fit. They don't fit together. And I'm just going to run through each of these questions uh, briefly. Verse 14, the question is asked. Number one, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness. Now, what is a partnership? A partnership is a relationship involving shared purposes. Righteousness and lawlessness are mutually exclusive. It's, I was thinking about an illustration, and I thought to myself, it's like putting uh, uh, the police service, if it was operating justly and righteously, together with the crime syndicates that operate in different areas. They just don't go together. They should not go together. It, uh, righteousness and lawness, lawlessness have no ability to achieve anything together that is, in this particular case, of eternal value. Second question. Now notice the different words he uses in each of the questions. Partnership in the first question. And the second question. What fellowship has light with darkness? Well, fellowship, we know, is kononia. It's coming together in mutual involvement. But how can there be mutual involvement with darkness and light? Darkness is the absence of light. And we know that even the smallest amount of light from a candle dispels darkness. Just no fellowship. There's no connectedness. Third question. Again, a different word. What accord has Christ with Belial? And that basically is the devil. Uh, in an accord, there's normally agreement between two parties. And now again, Satan is the prince of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. Christ is the light of the world. And there's no, there's no agreement. There's no possibility of an accord. Number four, again, a different word. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And the portion here implies that which uh, can be shared, uh, that which can be divided between the parties. Well, there's no spiritual blessing in Christ that the believer has in common with the unbeliever. And then the fifth question, what agreement has the temple of God with idols. Now again, the word is different. You had an agreement is to work out a joint arrangement. How can there be an amicable, amicable arrangement in the worship of God with idols? God himself demands and commands exclusive worship. You shall have no other gods before you. It isn't a convincing argument. But Paul goes on now and he elaborates on the final question. And I see this as him driving, as it were, the final nail 
into the coffin of any kind of partnership with those who oppose apostolic truth. And yeah, he now goes on to affirm that believers not only are incompatible co-workers, but they are incompatible, they have an incompatible identity. Verse 16, for we, believers, are the temple of the living God. Now Solomon, David, both recognized in spite of being uh, concerned about building a physical temple, affirmed that no building could contain the reality and greatness of God. When we get to the New Testament, we see that God is building a new temple, not made of bricks and stones. The foundation of that temple is Jesus himself. 1 Peter 2 verse 4, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And then every believer, you and me, those of us together that are true believers, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Inclusion in the temple is dependent on belief in Jesus. And there again, it's the, 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 the truth of the gospel, belief in the apostolic truth. We are going to meet at the Lord's table, and our focus again this morning will be for our sake, for your sake. Jesus, uh, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. With, without that message, the, 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 there's no hope. There's, there's, there's no uh, acceptance with God. So as those in the temple of God, Paul then goes on and he makes a single statement. If you ever look at the Bible, your Bible, it's a quotation. And it's uh, verse 16 to 18. It's a compilation of, of six Old Testament uh, verses, passages. But I'm going to just chop it up very briefly. There are basically three things he's saying over there. there, there there's a, a command in the middle. And on either side, there are two promises. Promise at the, at the top and a promise at the bottom. The first promise, or the, the, the top promise, is a promise of intimacy. And this is a quotation from Leviticus 26, Ezekiel 37. And, and this is the, the promise of intimacy to those who are in the temple. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's, that's the nature of this new covenant promise. At the end of the passage, at the end of the statement, there's a promise of adoption, inclusion into the family of God. Again, a number of passages, Second Samuel, Isaiah 52, Ezekiel 20, and Isaiah 43. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Those are the implications. If you have a false gospel, if you deviate from the apostolic truth, those promises cannot apply. And so therefore, in the middle of this, there's this call to separation. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you. And so the Corinthians and centralites, we are heirs of the promises of the new covenant and therefore cannot cooperate. We must separate from any who do not accept that gospel. 
Well, by them applying their minds to the logic of being incompatible co-workers, the five questions, incompatible identity, being the temple of God. Paul now goes ahead and he, my third point, implement the logical conclusion. Just go ahead and do it. And, and so the, the, the need to sever, he goes on, and Paul makes this appeal in chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. We must take this kind of thing serious, and especially in the context of our world today where there is a promotion and uh, almost uh, an idealization of of uh, tolerance, do, do we neglect, do we ignore the fundamental truths of the faith? Do we neglect to pursue holy living? Christians ought to pursue holiness, and Christians ought never to allow themselves to be yoked in the context of ministry to leaders, would-be leaders, who oppose the gospel within the church. So we, we, we ought to distance ourselves from people who misuse the Bible. We ought to distance ourselves from those who abuse divine worship or those who are just simply conforming because they are champions of popular culture. The unequal yoke is no longer a question of not yoking an ox and a donkey together. Now it is a question of not yoking the church and the world together. That brings me to my conclusion. And my conclusion this morning is what I've called implications. I want to try and say, how does this apply? Well, the first one, first implication is regarding unbelievers. I want to clarify something. While in this passage, God calls us to sever ministry cooperation from those who actively propagate a false gospel in opposition to apostolic truth, it does not mean that unbelievers are not welcome in the public meeting of the church. Anybody is welcome. The severing from ministry cooperation is not being the same as being together in the same room. We welcome anyone as a guest in our services. Our intention is to proclaim their need, the need, to be reconciled to God. To proclaim the apostolic truth of the gospel of Jesus' substitutionary death. Number two, regarding marriage. I think most, certainly in my generation, we were taught it is easy, easier to pull someone off a table than pull someone up on a table. My parents used to tell us that as children. Now, that's a, an argument. It's a pragmatic argument, I guess. But, but these five questions that Paul asks in this passage do apply regarding the joining together in marriage of a husband and a wife. An unequally yoked couple in marriage will encounter complex difficulties. Because there will be division in terms of conduct. How will we behave or 
conduct ourselves within the context of marriage? How will parenting uh, approaches unfold? How will priorities in almost every area of life? It's not impossible, but it's going to be difficult. And then I thought even more specifically, how can an unbelieving husband understand and pursue loving his wife as Christ loved the church? So young people who are unmarried, those who are single, ought to be considering the importance of not being yoked to unbelievers. So it applies. It's not the primary message, but it's an implication of this passage. How can an unbelieving wife submit to her husband as unto the Lord? Number three, regarding business. The business place is not the church. We live in the world as believers. We work in the world, even though we're not of the world. So an implication from this passage would be to understand that if you're a partner in some kind of firm or enterprise, an accounting firm or a law firm or some kind of work, you will need to find yourself to guard yourself against being swallowed up by ungodly decision-making and conduct. I don't believe that this passage is forbidding that because we're not, this is not gospel ministry. It's, it's finance. It's, it's law. It's, it's engineering. It's manufacturing. But be careful. And I think those of you who work in those environments know you constantly need to be wise with your wide your eyes wide open, resolving to honor the Lord, not willing to indulge in corruption and fraud and greed and deception. Number four, regarding the denomination. So we are members of the Baptist Union of South Africa. And so does this passage have anything to say to us? I believe it matters what the denomination promotes and stands for. Well, in the broader context of a union, secondary differences can be accommodated. We, as different churches, would have different styles of worship. Uh, we may even believe slightly different in terms of eschatological issues, uh, perhaps in, even in terms of spiritual gifts. But in the broader context of the Baptist Union or any denomination, when the fundamentals of the faith are compromised, I believe this passage applies. Sever. How do you have a partnership? How do you have cooperation with those who don't focus on the core of the gospel? It matters, therefore, that a, a denomination, a union, has a high view of Scripture. It matters that there's a responsible method of interpretation. It matters that exclusivity of the gospel must be upheld. It matters that the atoning work of Christ is believed. So we, those are issues we need to think about as we go forward, even in our cooperation in the Baptist Union. Number five, my last point, regarding the gospel. This passage uh, leaves me feeling... Uh, convinced that true believers are gospel people with conviction. Having had the eyes of our hearts enlightened, 
understanding the reality of a holy God, understanding the reality of me being a sinful person subjected to the wrath of God unless there's some kind of intervention surely leads me to the conviction and, con- and, 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 and reality that I cannot compromise on the gospel. So therefore we are people who are convinced that Jesus died in the place of sinners. We are convinced that he was raised from the dead for our justification. We are convinced that he reigns over all things. We are convinced that he will return to judge the living and the dead. These convictions have to be part of, 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 of the expression of our faith. We are convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no man comes to the Father but through him. So therefore, just a final comment this morning. No compromise on the fundamentals of the faith. No complicity with those who reject the biblical truth and specifically the atoning death of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And Lord, I do pray to that end. Help us to be courageous, also wise. And Lord, may we be a church faithful in being your ambassadors in this world, bringing good news where, Lord, there is much, uh, so much an indication of brokenness and ultimately judgment and even ultimately the reality of your wrath. And so help us, Lord, to be a church of much light, much good news. And may many people, Lord, come to know you and to serve you and to give themselves, Lord, fully to you, we pray, to the glory of your name. Amen. So we're going to share uh, around the Lord's table now. And uh, we, we have a, a, a single song with four verses. We're going to sing one verse at a time. So cheer- Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.